I've said it before and I'll no doubt say it again, but I'm always amazed, despite having spent most of my life at least dabbling around computers, at how complicated they are the further down you go. And there's always something new to learn and you always realise that you had taken things for granted that are absolutely essential. Of course that's the idea, particularly in the Apple system where it started off with the specific aim of preventing people from getting their hands dirty because they thought rightly that people really just wanted something a bit like a motor car, a bit like the dashboard where you get in, you switch on and you go and you don't need to worry about what's going under the hood, going on under the hood. Fair enough. But interesting things do go on under the hood and of course you don't get far in AI without discovering at least some of them, although I suspect that there too, the further you go, the more complicated it gets. I discovered something just this week that I'd never heard of before and it arose, and there's a lesson in this, from an error that kept cropping up. I finished all the transcriptions about a week ago and I haven't recorded any more episodes because I've been too busy programming one way or another. But I've got all, I don't know what it is, 325 in text form and I've also put them all in one big file so that I can, I hope, cross-reference and index them so that they can come to a bookstore near you anytime soon. Aha. But it's really just a matter of checking up on what I've said or what I haven't said and maybe being able to give some specific references to episodes just in case anybody's interested in following up on any of this. But the point I was going to make was that completing, or it isn't complete of course, because this episode won't be on it, but completing it up to date meant that I discovered, when I concatenated all these files, that there's very nearly a smidgen less than three million characters. And if you reckon on, I think the official average length of an English word is 4.6 letters, and there are of course spaces, so I reckon you can think that there must be somewhere between five and six hundred thousand words here. And uh, I'm not sure anybody, including me, will ever listen to them again, but never mind, that's not really the point. So those three million characters sit there in their glorious concatenation, and I've transcribed all of them. The last dozen or so on my machine at home by running Whisper locally and it's substantially slower than the online version but absolutely free if you ignore the several hundred hours it's taken me to make it work. But this is all running on the CPU, the central processing unit, the main chip on the computer. And I've got a GPU which I was trying to use. And I was very pleased to say that I can now use it for some things with some ease. And I've sort of got the hang of it. 
but it does something very peculiar when you try and run it on Whisper. And this threw up an error called the A10, A-T-E-N, double colon, empty dot memory underline something or other format, a memory format. And it said it couldn't do that because it thought that the version of PyTorch I was using had been compiled without its necessary dependencies. And it was all to do with the fact that it didn't support sparse MPS. Well, I do know a little bit about sparseness because it arises in mathematics a bit, where you've got sets that have got most of their elements are empty or blank. And so you've got only a comparatively low density population, as you might say. And that means that you can make some accommodations. You can speed things up a bit if you can manage to find a way to, I suppose, squeeze the spaces so that the whole thing becomes shorter. Well, this started me off on a bit of a rabbit hole, uh, as usual, and I quickly discovered that there's a whole area of software called quantization, which I'd never heard of. And basically it says that most of the numbers that you store on a computer are stored as floating point numbers, as decimals in other words, 3.61429. And most of those are stored in a format that requires 32 bits, 4 bytes. And there are formats, particularly integer formats, that will just quite happily deal with 1 byte or 8 bits. And obviously they are four times smaller, and therefore the models that they run are four times smaller and probably a bit quicker, because integer arithmetic is much faster than floating-point arithmetic, even on modern processors. And I was intrigued by this, uh, and I'm not going to go into the details, but what emerged, and I thought this is interesting, it's philosophically interesting, if nothing else, is that you can make these, I suppose you'd call them simplifications, approximations. You can condense your 32-bit floating point numbers into 8-bit integers. And you find, I'm not sure whether it's to your surprise, but certainly to your pleasure, that the models built on them run pretty much as accurately as the floating point ones. They take a quarter of the memory, not always, but you know, in the limit they take a quarter of the memory, and they're also faster. So it looks like a win-win-win. And when I read this it reminded me of so much that we've talked about in this series to do with the human mind, how our intellectual capacities are limited, and how we are forced to reduce the world to something approaching manageable proportions. And we kid ourselves that the world is intelligible, when really it isn't. But what gives it the impression of being intelligible 
is that these approximations and simplifications go on working, a little bit like the integers that replace the floating point numbers in quantization. In other words, you, you have something that's figuratively <laughs> a quarter the size, much simpler, whole numbers, faster, but necessarily more approximate, and yet, to within a smidgen, it is just as accurate. And that being so, it's a lovely metaphor for the relationship between human intelligence and the world. Because manifestly our intelligence does, to some extent at least, work, and the way we make sense of the world, spot the theme, therefore works, and that's why we think that it makes sense. But it doesn't make sense, contrary to so much of our supposition, it doesn't make sense because it's right. It makes sense because it's a good approximation to right. And that means that the world isn't intelligible, it's just manageable. And it's manageable because our approximations, provided they're done judiciously and carefully enough, can be made to work. And yes, of course, sometimes we'll come across approximations that won't work, and we'll need to be much more sophisticated, take much more care, deal with things much more accurately to make them work again, but they generally do. Now that really is the theme of this entire series. But the way we make sense of the world may well work, but it may also, because it's an approximation, because we should not allow ourselves the conceit of thinking that we understand things the way they are, we only understand things the best we can in a way that, to a reasonable approximation, will go on working just like the quantization of 32-bit floating-point numbers into 8-bit integers. And therefore, and this I suppose is the subtext, given that they're approximations and given that they to some extent work, we should nevertheless expect that to the extent that they work, there is an extent to which they don't work. There's even an extent to which they lead us astray, they tempt us into ways of being and ways of thinking and ways of behaving, that although they may appear to work, in fact don't if you look at it long term. They present us with a solution to a problem that isn't optimal, because it doesn't take enough into account, because it doesn't have the kind of multi-dimensional quality that a good quality artificial general intelligence will have by virtue of the way it's made. So you and I, given a problem, will reduce it to one or two, maybe just one salient feature, and we'll present that as though it is the solution. You see this happening in economics and politics all the time when inflation is the flavour of the month at the moment. Another time it's unemployment. Another time it's productivity. 
another time it's political stability or another time it's corruption and we migrate from one monothematic account of the world to another not just out of perversity not just out of laziness but because we're so limited in our intellectual outlook in the capacity that we have for doing many things at once that we like to believe and sometimes even do believe or persuade ourselves to believe that our monocultural explanations are the only things that matter. And so if you look around the world you, you can see the consequences of all this writ large. Where, where people believe that only money matters, trouble lies ahead. Where people think that land or power matter, trouble lies ahead. Where people think that power and influence matter, trouble lies ahead. Whenever we reduce the world to single themes and treat them as though they are the be-all and end-all, trouble happens. And yet, to some extent, we're not really very good at doing anything else. And I was thinking this only today, although not until now have I seen the connection, that one of the reasons why I tend to become obsessional about coding, or writing, or gardening, or cooking, or anything, is because I'm not very good at doing many things at once. I'm not good at multitasking. Certainly, I quite like my brain to have a lot of strands or threads running through it, but mostly I do one thing. I do it fairly obsessively, and then I get fed up with it and I change and do something else. So I'm not so different from those who think that, first of all, it's money, then it's power, then it's fame, then it's, you know. And none of this, is, none of this can possibly be true. It is, to my mind, self-evidently the case that we need a multi-dimensional analysis of the world and that we therefore need the kind of analysis that an artificial general intelligence is particularly suited to because it can deal with so many things at once. Because its whole, let's call it being, slightly exaggerated or extravagant term, its beings based around integrating together the disparate. Its neural nets, if you go right back to very early episodes of Series 8, its neural nets do not contain discrete pieces of information like the name of the 44th President of the United States. They contain all sorts of distributed menagerie of bits and pieces, literally bits and pieces, which the architecture of the machine is capable of drawing together in some way in order to answer a question or solve a problem or whatever it may be up to. And out of it it can certainly produce the name of the 44th President of the United States but you won't find it there on a label as though it were Paddington Bear. It's just not there. So the very nature of an artificial general intelligence is integrative integrative and multi-dimensional because of course you can be integrative and monodimensional and I'm probably a bit like that but no this is integrative and multiple multi-dimensional it can draw together solutions information consideration 
from all sorts of fields that you and I might never even think of considering, let alone be capable of marshalling to such an extent that we can do something with it. So when I code and I come across things like quantization and A10 and all the other stuff that I've discovered this last few weeks that I didn't know about, it's still very monolithic, monocultural, whatever the word for mono-interest is. And I think that if I were more intelligent, more like an AGI, I would integrate more things more readily and have an interest that spread more widely. Well, my interests do spread widely, but they tend to do so in a Monday, you know, I'd be here on Monday, there on Wednesday, somebody else on Thursday kind of way, not by grasping it all at once and doing something with it. Of course, it's probably worth saying, it is worth saying, that even the 32-bit floating point arithmetic isn't reality. So we're already dealing with a simplification when we're dealing with models based upon that. So the second level of simplification is an even greater simplification. And all we know is that it roughly does as well as the 32-bit one. What we don't know is how well they do in relation to the unmodeled reality that is reality, because nobody can ever see that or get hold of it. We can only get hold of what we can get hold of with our limited sensory and intellectual capacities. So it's worth saying that, worth reminding us that these are not approximations that take us away from reality. They're approximations, simplifications that take us away from other things that are also simplifications, only perhaps to a lesser extent.